something I was pretty into when I was in third grade. Here's a picture of my fine object of obsession. Hopefully you can see that. If not, feel free to come close and take a good look. This is my Armatron watch, not actually mine, but the same model that I had in third grade. And it was super cool. Tell you, it had a little, remember that little sound? I mean, that was like next level technology. Um, yeah, so there it is. Uh, it was very uncomfortable. I, I grew up in Vegas. It was very hot, and a metal band was just horrible, and it stunk at the end of the day, but I loved it. All right, that's my obsession. My obsessions have changed over time, um, but enough of that. Let's, let's get back into the story of God, the, the story that we've been following through John. Remember how it began. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, through this Word that is God, that was with God, all things were made. Everything that you see and feel, you, your breath, everything was made through Him and for Him. This word then became flesh, entered our world, this fallen, rebellious, crazy, hectic world that had turned away from him. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. And these witnesses like John and the others are telling us what they saw, what they heard. And through their word and through the Holy Spirit speaking through them, we are drawn into relationship with this same God, the Word who was in the beginning. Not just the Word, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he's doing in a thing. We were joking today, why don't we meet on Saturdays, like the Sabbath? That's, you know, um, Abraham, Israel, they would meet together on Saturday. Well, because something big happened on Sunday. The game changer, the new creation began on that resurrection Sunday. It was a super fun day, and uh, rightfully so. There was a lot of smiles, and it was a lot of fun. I have a few pictures for you from the Easter games that followed Resurrection Sunday message. We got Egg Hunt. Uh, I see Elodie there. What's the next slide? I think that's Laurel. There's a bunch of kids over here. The Egg Toss, we had 48 teams, 96 people. That's the biggest ever. Uh, there's Domingo. We'll go back. Look at that, look at that focus on that egg. Kyle's there. Jacob, man, Paulina, man, she's already grasped it. Joel's waiting for his egg. That was fun. I don't remember who won that this year. Oh. <laughs> and then the egg bowl, and I don't know why we do this. This is just torture for me. Um, we might not do that next year. We'll we'll talk about it. <laughs> anyway, thanks to everybody who helped. That was that was just fantastic. Super fun. Um, so big day. Resurrection Sunday, last Sunday. So we're going to pick it up there. After that Sunday, uh, we, we, we read this. This is a good summary of what happened next. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It's in your bulletin. It's up here. After his suffering, after Jesus' death on the cross, he presented himself to them, to his disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
All right, let's look at some of those appearances. We, if we look through the New Testament documents, this is what we have. First, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. Then, the other Mary. There's a lot of Marys. Mary, that name comes from Miriam. It's a very popular name. Other Mary, maybe Salome and Joanna, a group of women there. Uh, and then the next appearance was Cleopas and another disciple on the road to Emmaus. And then to Peter. And then a group of disciples, presumably the ten, without Thomas. And then the disciples, the next week, the next Sunday... Uh, the 10 again, plus Thomas this time. That's when Thomas was like, hey, I need to touch you uh, in order to believe. Um, and then seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee. We're going to look at that one more closely today. And then 500 disciples in Galilee. And then James, half-brother of Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph. They weren't sure what to do with Jesus, uh, but after his resurrection, it became clear who he was to them. And then another group in Jerusalem, then about... A year later to Saul, we know him as Paul, on the road to Damascus. So a variety of disciples over a period of 40 days, giving tangible proofs that he is alive in his transformed resurrection body. It wasn't a ghost. He was, you could touch him. You could eat with him. He is alive. He wants them to know that. He wants you to know that. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. He is the new creation. He's the beginning. He's launching this thing off, and it's going to be culminated in the new heavens and new earth. You're going to get the same kind of resurrection body at the resurrection. Now, he could have done this many different ways. He chose to do it this way over a period of 40 days, giving many convincing proofs to many different disciples so that you and I would realize this is not just a, a one-person thing somewhere but a many-person thing over a diverse area. He wanted this thing to stick for us to be confident that he is alive. And if he didn't rise from the dead, we would not be talking about him today, 2,000 years later, some Jewish guy who got crucified on the cross. If that was it, that would have been it. He would have been long forgotten. But no, it's just the beginning. He is alive. So we're going to focus in on this resurrection appearance, number seven on that list, which is actually the third time Jesus appeared to a group of disciples. So let's go there and hear what the living Lord wants us to see and hear through this event. John 21, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Here we go. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, means twin. I guess he was a twin. Uh, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples were together, so seven of them. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. All right, now, do you remember what were many of these men before Jesus called them? Fishermen, yeah, a lot of them were. All right, so uh, Jesus, at this point, he is risen. It's during that 40-day period. He's not with them physically right then. And, you know, he's not walking with them. They're not getting up when he gets up and so forth. Things have shifted. And it's probably a week, uh, two weeks since they saw him last. And what did they decide to do? Go fishing. Go back to what they know. Let's just go back to what we know. We'll wait for him to appear again. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught 
nothing. They struck out. They worked hard to catch fish and caught nothing. Now, there's, you know, of all the stories that could have been chosen to be included in John's account, he includes this little detail in this, this account. What was missing? What was missing when they went out fishing? What was missing in this scenario? Who was missing? Jesus. Yeah, they're on their own again. They go out, they work, and they catch nothing. What's the message here? What is John showing us? What does Jesus want us to know? Let's just fill this in. Let's capture this. They went back to their old thing without Jesus. They went back to their old thing without Jesus. Empty. This happens. People begin to follow Jesus. Things get tricky. Things get challenging. And eh, they're not feeling it so much anymore. And so we go back to that old thing. We go back, we try to find life again in those old things. We look there again. Oh, maybe, maybe if I look at it this way, or maybe if I try it again, I'll get some life from it. Maybe that will work this time. And sometimes, often, we come back empty. All right, verse 4, early in the morning, back to the disciples, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. So they're out on the boat. The disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. We learn uh, pretty shortly after here that the boat is about 100 yards off the shore. So Jesus is about 100 yards away. So they see a figure out there and uh, didn't realize it was Jesus. But he, Jesus, called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, no fish out here. So Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They do it. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large fish. Presumably, they've been fishing all night. What's different this time? Jesus is there. Jesus is there. They're not, they don't even quite realize it's him, but they listen to this voice. They obey. They do the thing that they were doing, but this time with Jesus, with his presence, his power. And they fill the boat with fish. I think there's something John, Jesus, wants us to see here, right? Now, does this story sound familiar to you? Yeah. Marina remembers the first time Jesus called them, three and a half years earlier, before the cross, before the resurrection, before the cross, before the Last Supper, before all the miracles and healings and amazing things that they heard Jesus say and they saw Jesus do, Jesus called them the same way. Hey, friends, throw your net on the other side of the, of the boat. <sighs> Large haul of fish. Okay, now John, he's quick. Verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how he re refers to himself. He's so, he's so aware of God's love for him. 
He knows it so deeply. It's been so transformative for John's life that he wants you to know him as the disciple whom Jesus loves. The disciple whom Jesus loves said to Peter, it's the Lord. He knows it. He sees it. He realizes it. It's Jesus. Now, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. <laughs> this is Peter. What's going on with Peter? He's so excited. He loves Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. He doesn't even think. He's the heart first guy. Wrap it up. Jesus is there. Boom, I'm going. I'm going to swim. It's probably actually slower to swim than stay in the boat. But, you know, he's not thinking. He loves Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. He goes to Jesus. The other disciples, thinking first, followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. Let's capture this. It's going to pertain to us in a minute here. When Jesus shows up, they drop everything. Peter especially. He didn't care about the fish or the boat or the others. He goes forward. When Jesus shows up, they drop everything. Why? Well, think about your own life, your own situation. What makes you drop everything? Like when, when something more important comes up, right? Something, someone more important comes up, appears, you drop everything. You don't think about it. Something greater has shown up on the shore, calling to them, and they drop it all. Nothing gets in the way of them getting to Jesus. They love Jesus. Uh, Jesus is greater to them than anything else. So they go to him. Now, if Jesus showed up in this park, um, and we had some indication of that, even, you know, maybe a pretty strong inkling, what would we do? We would go over there. I would not be finishing this. This is about him. Jesus is here. Let's go. Come on. Leave everything. Oh, what about my stuff? No, Jesus is there. He's greater. He's more important. I don't care about this stuff. Hopefully we'll remember to bring the kids. Some of us might not. <laughs> Jesus, when Jesus shows up, we go to him. Now here's the truth. Jesus shows up through your week. He showed up this week. He called out to you, friend. Friend. Can I help? Hey, friend, listen. Hey, friend, come over. He's been calling to you through this whole week. Did you hear him? Did you miss it? Sometimes we get so busy, so consumed with other things, with lesser things, that Jesus calls and we miss it. We might even think, oh, maybe, but then we get, no, I got to do this first. They saw it more vividly. Jesus wants us to see it more vividly. When I call, come. I have life for you. 
this leads me to the question, where do you hear Jesus speak? When do you hear Jesus speak? In what setting? In what context? I mean, definitely through the day. Like the Spirit of God is in you, you're in Him, all right? So you should be prompted along the way during the week uh, by Jesus. But there are certain contexts where I just, I'm closer to Him. I hear Him more. He consistently speaks to me. For me, it's Bible study. For me, it's when I'm down on my knees praying. I told you I got this three-time-a-day prayer alarm. It's kind of annoying for the kids when it goes off, but it helps me remember. And it confronts me with this question because sometimes I'm busy when the alarm goes off. But if I remember, this is Jesus calling me to be with him. That's why he had me set up this alarm in the first place. Then I stop. Sometimes I don't. This is helping me remember when Jesus calls, go to him. The other place, Bible studies, small groups. I, I belong to too many. <laughs> but that's where Jesus speaks to me. There's something about being with other believers, praying together, being in his word together. That's where Jesus speaks to me clearly. He calls me there. Friend, come to small group. Because that's where he wants to meet with us. Where do you hear him speaking? I think we've got to be more protective of that space, more priority to that time. Because he's speaking. He's calling out. He's ready to help you. You know, we're laboring hard, and sometimes it's, we're coming up empty, and we're striving, and Jesus is like, friend, friend. It's like, all right, go ahead, keep going, all right. You're going to get tired, friend. He wants to help you. He's there for you. He's there for us. Key point, wherever it is, whenever it is that Jesus shows up and speaks to you, drop everything else. Why? Because he is greater. He's greater. He's better. He's higher. Let's go back to the disciples. When they landed, so they, they run to shore, they know it's Jesus, they go to Jesus, they drop everything, they move to Jesus. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took bread, he gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. What's Jesus doing around that fire? What's he doing there? He's calling them. Close. He's calling them into fellowship. He's calling them to sit and eat with him. This is how you do fellowship. Back then, this is how you do fellowship now. Eat together. Slow down. Sit. Talk. Joke. Jesus is doing the same thing today. It's wild. We see this thing very parallel. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, here I am. Here I am. Here. I stand at the door and knock. Whoever hears 
my voice. That's a big deal. Whoever hears my voice, doesn't you know, drown it out, isn't so busy, misses. Whoever hears my voice and opens the door, so that's, that's step two, right? Not just hearing his voice, but, oh, I'm going to let Jesus in. I will come and eat with them and they with me. He's inviting you. He's calling you again and again into fellowship to sit with him, to eat with him, to be with him. In the busyness, sometimes it's at an inconvenient time. What do we do in those moments? Back to the disciples. They're eating now with Jesus. He's back with them. They're enjoying his presence. And Jesus starts a conversation with Peter. But before we go into that conversation, let's remember where things left off with Peter. All right? Before Jesus was crucified. Before those resurrection appearances, the first ones. Rewind to the Last Supper. Okay, this was the night before Jesus was arrested, tried, crucified. The Last Supper, the Passover meal with Jesus, they're eating together. Jesus was preparing them for his death, what was coming. He's, he basically said to them, I'm going to be separated you for, from you for a little while, and you're going to grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. All right, John 13, in that context, when Jesus said that, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Again, Peter wants to be with Jesus, even though Jesus is saying, hey, I got to go away. Why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And I think Peter believes it. I will lay down my life for you. I'll go wherever you go. I don't care what it costs me. Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Was Jesus right? Yeah. Jesus is rested. He's being held in question at the high priest's house. And Peter denies him once. Do you know him? No. Nope. Twice, do you know him? Nope. Three times, I tell you, I don't know him. And then the rooster crows, and it's crushing. Now, after those three denials, after Jesus' death and resurrection, what is the condition of Peter's relationship with Jesus? What is, when, when Jesus calls out to them, what does he say? Friends! He didn't say, friends, and you who denied me. Friends, come eat breakfast with me, right? But Peter needs something. Let's see. Let's see what happens here. Verse 15. When they'd finished eating with the risen Lord Jesus, Jesus said, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Presumably the fish there. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. One time. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep two times. Third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What does this scene show us about Jesus? Now, Jesus knows and loves Peter, right? Jesus knew Peter would falter and deny him those three times, despite his big words. And Jesus here is personally, directly, Restoring Peter. Restoring him. In a real Restoring him. Removing that barrier, that thing that they hadn't talked about yet. That uncomfortable truth in their life, in their relationship. Did it hurt? It hurt Peter. He's being confronted. Jesus is putting a finger on that failure. Not to shame him, not to cause him pain for no reason, but to restore him, to strengthen him, to prepare him, to get the clutter out of the way so that Peter can then go on and fulfill the mission that Jesus has for him, to feed his sheep, to take care of his lambs, to look after his people, to strengthen Jesus' disciples. He gets things straight with Peter first. It hurts. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He's disciplining Peter with truth and grace. He does the same with you and me. The stuff we don't want to talk about with him, he wants to talk about with you. To restore you. To cleanse you. To clear the deck. To bring you into close, tight fellowship with him so that you can do the good works that he has prepared for you to do. When you falter, stumble, sin, when you deny Jesus, when you fall on your face, here are some options. You can run away. You can hide. You can avoid God. You can stop going to small group. You can stop going to church. You can stop praying because you know that thing is there. You can blame others. You can blame God. You can blame the situation. You can blame yourself. Just beat yourself up. Or you can do like Peter did. You hear his voice? Jump out of the boat. Grace. He's forming you and me. He's shaping us. He's strengthening us because he has good works for you and me to do. Impactful kingdom things divine works that demolish strongholds, that bring people from death to life, big things. He's calling you to do it. He's inviting you to do it. Jesus wants to do this in you today, the same thing he did with Peter. So let's go back together. Let's go back. 
And I want you to just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Picture yourself sitting with Jesus by that fire, those coals that are burning there. Sitting and eating with Jesus, being with him. Now, even to get to that place, you might need to push some things out of the way just to get to them, just to get to Jesus. So you're eating there together with the Lord. And Jesus asks you, the Holy Spirit is asking you this morning, do you love me? Do you love me? It's a great question. Where is your heart with me? Do you love me? Jesus is asking you by the Spirit, do you love me? And then Jesus is going to press in a little bit further here. He asks you and me, do you love me more than these? More than that? Do you love me more than him? More than her? Do you love me more than that plan, that scheme of yours? Do you love me more than that old way, that habit, that activity that does not fit anymore? Do you love me more than that thing you keep putting before me, in front of me first? Do you love me more? Holy Spirit, show us those things that we put before Jesus. Jesus is the highest aim, the highest goal, the highest one. He is God most high. Lord, show us those things that we put before you. Help us put them in their proper place. Come, Holy Spirit, show us what, what we need to push out of the way. Maybe even what we need to give to you, Lord. Maybe something, something good God's given you, but you put it before him. It always gets in the way of the, when he calls you. Put that good thing and trust Jesus with that thing. Put Jesus first. Put me first, Jesus is saying. When you put the Lord first, then he's truly Lord of your life. When you put the king first, then he's truly king of your life. And he will lead you into fullness of life. That's his invitation to us. That's his opportunity. That's the new way that he's opened up through his death and resurrection. Lord God, help us not miss that. Help us this week be aware of when we are putting other things before you, Lord God. Help us not stumble again in that pattern. 
praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Continue to do your work in us. If you need prayer on this, if you need somebody to just pray with you about this, the prayer team is going to be up here during this last song. Spend time in this last song. You can sit, you can stand and sing. You can just continue to do business with the Lord. Jesus is meeting with you with truth and grace to strengthen you, to discipline you for your good because he loves you. Let's not avoid him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the good work that you began in us on the cross and that you are working out in our lives, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your promise that you will bring it to completion on the day of the Lord. We look forward to that day, Jesus, when our believing will be turned into seeing. We will be sitting with you at the table. We praise you. We look forward to that day. And Lord, in the meantime, help us walk closely with you. Amen.